Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, everybody, this is In Liberty and Health. Health. Jesus, I can't even talk. <laughs> In Liberty and Health, episode 13. I'm very excited to have um, my guest here, Dr. Philip Ovedia, a brand new author. His book actually came out today, November 11th, 2021. Stay off my operating table. And we're going to kind of dive into some of how we could stay off his operating table um, here in the podcast. So, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Kyle. Really excited to have this conversation with you and your audience. Awesome. Well, we're all stoked to have you here. So, um, you know, I guess kind of tell us your story and explain what got you into, you know, staying off your own operating table and uh, getting other people to do the same thing. Sure thing. Um, You know, and my personal and professional stories certainly intertwine on this front. Um, You know, I've been a practicing heart surgeon now for over 15 years. I've done over 3,000 heart surgeries. And uh, during much of that time, the first 10 years or so of my career, you know, I was progressively unhealthy myself. I have a background of, you know, being obese my entire childhood and, uh, you know, through my adulthood. And that was despite really following the mainstream advice around how to stay healthy. You know, I was always very active as a child. Uh, My family ate, you know, very much in line with the U.S. dietary guidelines. I have a older brother who is a type one diabetic. So we didn't really, we didn't have sugar in the house. Um, We ate, you know, low fat food pyramid diet, um, you know, margarine instead of butter and skim milk in our, you know, whole wheat cereal every morning. (laughs) And, um, you know, I found myself uh, at a crossroads about 10 years into my career. This is about five years ago, where I had tried, you know, to lose weight many times. And I had some short term successes, you know, with all the standard stuff, eat less, move more, uh, eat a low fat diet. But, you know, clearly it wasn't working for me. I was morbidly obese at that point. I was pre-diabetic and I knew that I was going to end up on my own operating table, so to speak. And thankfully, about five years ago, I came across some alternative thoughts about, you know, why we get obese, why we get unhealthy. Uh, My introduction was uh, via Gary Taubes, uh, the investigative journalist and author. He had written, you know, at 
that time I heard him speak at a medical meeting and he had just written the case against sugar. And prior to that, he wrote why we get fat and good calories, bad calories. And I read his books and they resonated with me, you know, the message that the types of food we eat are more important than the amount of food we eat. And I implemented it for myself. I went on a, you know, eliminated sugar and went on a low carb uh, dietary strategy. I was able to lose over hundred pounds, maintain it for five years uh, now. And more importantly, you know, it got me curious as to why didn't I hear this in medical school? Why didn't I learn this as a practicing heart surgeon? And ultimately what I came to realize is that, you know, food, what we eat is the primary determinant of our health and that we've gotten that messaging around what we should be eating very wrong. And that has led me to my, you know, kind of new secondary mission to help people to stay off my operating table by understanding these concepts around metabolic health. Right. So along with the low carb kind of diet, which I myself, I guess, technically would follow, I get about 30% of my calories from carbohydrates, but, um, you know, I followed a carnivore diet for about two years and we were always told everybody and it, everybody was always told that saturated fat and cholesterol is uh, going to kill you, you know, eating all those fatty steaks, eating all this ground beef, eating all this bacon, this is going to make your LDL go through the roof. And then you're going to be scooping uh, cholesterol out of your clogged arteries and you're going to die when you're 35 years old. But uh, <laughs> it was kind of funny that they never questioned when I ate, you know, a big salad with vegetable oil dressing and all this junk food, candy and stuff like that. But then as soon as I brought in some ground beef with a little bit of salt, now all of a sudden they're concerned about my health, but I lost 70 pounds. My digestion was better. I felt better. Everything was better, but according to them, my diet was going to kill me. It, it sounds so counterintuitive, but I think that's the experience for a lot of people. And it seems like you had a very similar experience as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, my, my dietary kind of uh, journey ultimately led me to carnivore as well. I've been largely carnivore for the past three years. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, I, I improved every marker of my health with the exception of LDL. And, um, you know, again, this opened my eyes to the reality around LDL cholesterol. And, you know, there's a lot of debate about the importance of LDL cholesterol in the development of heart disease. But ultimately, what I've come to recognize is that whether or not you accept the data that, you know, LDL cholesterol is a risk factor for heart disease, and it's probably a minor risk factor. The reality is, is that metabolic health is a much more important risk factor. You know, the data around LDL cholesterol, the best data we have, um, and I kind of put best data in, in parentheses there, um, shows that, you know, having an elevated LDL cholesterol level puts you at about a 1.4 times risk of heart disease as someone who doesn't have an LDL, you know, elevated LDL cholesterol level. But when you look at metabolic health, most commonly measured by insulin resistance, that puts you at about a six times risk of heart disease. Um, so much bigger risk factor for heart disease and metabolic health also puts you at risk for many forms of cancer, Alzheimer's disease, 
you know, diabetes, high blood pressure, all of these things. Uh, you know, when you look at the top causes of death every year in the United States, six out of the 10 of them are directly attributable to poor metabolic health. So no matter what you believe around cholesterol per se, uh, metabolic health is clearly a more important uh, marker for us to focus on. And that's, that's sort of the central message of my book that we need to be focused on metabolic health. And by doing so, that's going to help you prevent heart disease and most of the other chronic diseases that plague us. And ultimately that's gonna help you to stay off of my operating table. Yeah. I uh, I completely agree. And it was kind of funny because I've heard a lot of people say their LDL went a lot higher on a carnivore diet. Um, even after about two years, I want to say my LDL cholesterol was actually on the high end of normal. I want to say it was around 155. So I know they, I think the standard range was like 80 to 140, if I recall correctly. You would know better than me. But yeah, uh, yeah they say that you want to have your LDL cholesterol I believe around 80 to 140, but mine was 155. I felt fantastic. Um, so I guess, could you perhaps elaborate a little bit more on the uh, kind of studies around saturated fat and cholesterol? Because like I said, I, I'm of the belief, and I'm sure you are too, it's not the meat. It's what you're eating with the meat. You know, when you put carbohydrates and, you know, ketchup and all this other stuff on top of meat, then it makes it way, 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 way more palatable and way easier to overconsume. But it's not just that burger patty that's causing the, uh, you know, your obesity or insulin resistance. It's everything else on top of that. Exactly. So, you know, most of the data that we have tying saturated fat consumption, the amount of saturated fat that we eat to negative outcomes of any sort and, and heart disease is, is, you know, the primary area that's focused on. Um, that data comes from what we call epidemiologic data. Uh, and, you know, what that means is that they go and they ask people what they eat and then, you know, they look at their health outcomes and they try and tie those two together. And there's a couple of problems with doing that. Number one is people aren't very good at, at you know, reporting what they eat. Uh, many of these studies ask them to think back like over the past six months or a year and say, on average, how much of this did you eat? Uh, but even the ones that track them in real time, like each day they're recording what they eat, people aren't good at judging amounts and they're not very honest. You know, they know sort of what is supposed to be healthy and will kind of skew what they report. Mm -hmm. um, but even if we had very good data on tracking what we eat, and the health outcomes, that still doesn't prove any relationship. It only suggests relationships. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that most of this data, as bad as it is, doesn't even suggest that relationship between saturated fat and heart disease. And in fact, we can go back to the original seminal study that was used. Uh, it was called the Six Countries Study. It was done by a researcher named Ansel Keys. And what he did was he, you know, purported to graph the amount of saturated fat that was eaten on a macro level by countries and their incidence of heart disease, again, on a macro level. And he showed six countries and he showed this nice linear relationship lining up the two. The reality is, is that the data set that Ansel Keys looked at had 22 countries in it. And when you graph out all 22 countries, there is no relationship whatsoever. 
he handpicked the six countries because he was interested in, you know, pushing this narrative that saturated fat was related to heart disease. So, you know, that was the foundation this whole argument was based upon. All of mo most of the science that came after it was flawed. A lot of it didn't even support the original conclusion. Yet here we are, you know, 60 years later, still pushing this same narrative. And the problem is that when you take saturated fat out of the diet and you need to replace it with something, it largely gets replaced with processed carbohydrates and ultra processed foods and fake oils, these processed seed and vegetable oils. And as we've been doing that over the past 60 years, clearly the incidence of obesity, heart disease, diabetes, you know, all of these things have been increasing. So there is no real logical way that you can look at this and say that, you know, eliminating saturated fat is a good thing in our diet. Yeah, you know, I completely agree as a uh, person who wants getting one on a carnivore diet. Um, one of the biggest things about going on a carnivore diet is increasing the amount of protein and fats that you have, because protein protein is so satiating. And not only that, the leucine content in red meat is what trigger, or triggers muscle protein synthesis. So especially for people who are resistance training, it's so important to have red meat, which usually comes with saturated fat. Um, I don't, I could never understand this demonization around it where people will say, oh, well, you need to have protein and protein so important, but saturated fat's bad for you. Well, once again, one of the best sources of protein comes with saturated fat. You're going to be incredibly satiated after eating, you know, specifically red meat. And not only that, as I said earlier, that has the right amount of leucine to trigger muscle protein synthesis. So you're going to grow. And what's your body's greatest sink for glucose or sugars? Muscle. So I don't understand why anybody would ever think it's a good idea to reduce the amount of red meat that they're taking in. It, it's, to me, a no-brainer to keep it in your diet because it's so satiating. It's delicious. I don't know anybody that, you know, has a steak and says, uh, you know, I'll, just, I'll pass on this, you know. So, yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, you know, I largely agree with that. And I largely go back to our evolution as humans, you know. Mm -hmm. Meat, you know, uh, animal products are clearly what we evolved eating. So to mm -hmm. think that somehow that all of a sudden in the past, you know, 100 to 150 years became damaging to us uh, is really a flawed concept. Um, but I want to say importantly that, you know, I don't think that carnivore is the only healthy diet to have. Um, you know, one of the sections of my book actually goes through most of the popular diets today, literally both vegan and carnivore, um, you know, keto, Mediterranean, low carb in general, and talks about, you know, what are metabolically healthy features of each of these and what are not metabolically healthy features of these. And ultimately, what I default to is any diet that is keeping you metabolically healthy or improving your metabolic health, I'm in favor of. And I do truly work with both vegans and carnivores. Um, there are ways to do it. You know, I tell people that doing it as a vegan is a lot harder. You know, you have to supplement there. You know, it, it's just sort of a lot more complex than doing it as a carnivore. But ultimately, they're both possible. And I support any dietary strategy that's going to improve your metabolic health. Right. And that's great to hear specifically from somebody that's kind of been around the low carb community for a while is that you're not dogmatic at all. 
you want results, you want health. And we know compliance to the science. Not everybody's going to sustain a carnivore diet lifestyle for a long period of time. Honestly, it wasn't that sustainable for me after two years. So I introduced some carbohydrates. You know, I have protein bars. I have a lot of fruit now. I have a lot of sweet potatoes. Um, but uh, my most of my calories still come from fat and, you know, that of red meat. Um, and some people may not thrive on that. Some people may thrive on a vegan diet. I think it's probably a smaller portion than people can thrive on carnivore, but you know, obviously we'll never have, we probably won't have studies in our lifetime, at least to uh, say whether or not, you know, it, it, whether or not there's specific populations or whoever can thrive on certain diets. But, um, you know, it's good to see that you're not dogmatic about diet because there are some people who say oh well you know oh you have to go carnivore you have to go vegan um flexible dieting is the be all end all um you know when you create these hard lines around food and dietary approach some people don't handle that well because as soon as they get that piece of sugar that piece of cheesecake or you know maybe even for some vegans you know that little piece of meat then they just gorge and you know we know that binge eating is not healthy either Exactly. You know, so, uh, you know, my approach to it, uh, again, in the book is that I outline, you know, seven key principles of metabolic health. And I think, you know, if you stay within these key principles, you are going to optimize your metabolic health. And, you know, the, the one around food that I outline is to eat whole real food. I think there's no getting around that. You know, when right. you look at you know, what do the vegan and the carnivore diet have in common, mm -hmm. uh, that they're based on eating whole real food. And, you know, again, these processed foods with these fake vegetable and seed oils and these highly processed carbohydrates have only been introduced into our food supply, you know, recently in the past hundred and, you know, 150 years or so. And clearly during that time, our health has worsened. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, People argue a lot or, you know, ask me a lot about, you know, well, what is it? Is it the vegetable and seed oils? Is it the processed carbohydrates? Is it all carbohydrates? Um, and, you know, my answer is we really don't know because the reality mm -hmm. is, is that processed food always combines, you know, processed carbohydrates with vegetable and seed oils. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to separate out one versus the other. Um, but, you know, I go back again to our sort of evolutionary history. And mm -hmm. one of the rules I sort of, you know, talk about around food is if your great grandparents, your grandparents, you know, 150 years ago weren't eating it, it's probably not something that we should be eating. Right. And I think that's a great way to look at it. And, you know, when you look at these dietary approaches, typically they restrict either carbohydrates or fat. When you have carbohydrates and fat together and low protein, it's very, 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 very easy to overconsume. You know, think about yeah. it. Cake, burgers, um, milkshakes, these all have highly processed carbohydrates and fats together, which just make it so easy to overconsume and you know therefore make you metabolically unwell so um obviously we want people to buy your book but um you know kind of what are these seven principles that you look for um when um addressing metabolic health yeah so the first principle i think is is probably you know the most important it's the overarching principle that you need to think of your health as a system not as a goal 
And what I mean by that is we oftentimes, you know, focus on the short term goals. I want to lose 20 pounds. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you know, one of two things typically happens either, you know, you lose 20 pounds by, you know, usually restricting something Mm -hmm. and you get to your goal and you say, great, I lost the 20 pounds. I can't maintain this restrictive lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go back to what I was doing before. Um, or probably more commonly is you don't lose the 20 pounds because losing 20 pounds is, is kind of hard. Uh, and you then kind of give up and you get frustrated and you say, okay, I'm going to go back to what I was doing before. Instead, I would like people to reframe their thinking around their health being an overall system. I want to be metabolically healthy. And I'm going to find the habits that support that metabolic health. And I think that that is a more sustainable life, you know, more sustainable way to think and ultimately leads to the successes that you want. Because when you get metabolically healthy, you are going to get to that healthy weight. You know, you'll lose the weight if you need to. You Mm -hmm. are going to avoid heart disease and the other chronic diseases, and you're going to stay off my operating table. You know, another goal that people have. Uh, but the right approach isn't to focus necessarily on the goal. It's to look at your health as a system. Okay. Yeah. And then I was just going to say the other principles, you know, end up largely being the habits that are going to support, you know, your metabolic health. So it's eat real food. We already talked about it's move more. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't say exercise. I just say move more. It's sleep. Well, you know, Uh, Sleep enough is actually how I put it in the book. Um, Reduce your stress and, um, you know, find, I I say in the book, find a doctor who gets it, Uh, basically meaning that, you know, you need to find a partner in this journey. You need to find someone to work with that understands this and is going to support your decisions. You know, far too often, as you relayed, you know, you're going to make these changes and they're going to, you know, have great effects and you're going to lose weight and, you know, all of your lab work might look better, but that one metric, that LDL cholesterol is going to go <laughs> up maybe. And, you know, your doctor is going to say, this is killing you. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, ultimately uh, when physicians do that, you know, they're kind of not intentionally, I mean, they have, uh, you know, they have good intentions They just don't have the educational framework to really understand this concept of metabolic health. And therefore, uh, they end up, you know, kind of uh, working against uh, the patients. And the last principle that I outline is basically to make one sustainable change at a time. Um, And this, again, goes to that sort of success mindset. You know, if you try and change everything at once and it works, you're not going to know what part of it actually worked. And if it doesn't work, again, you're not going to know which of those changes, you know, may have worked if you did them by themselves and which ones were working against you. So I do like the approach of kind of, you know, picking one sustainable change at a time, focusing on one area and seeing what the results of that are. And if it works, if you're improving, then you add the next thing onto it. Uh, so I think, you know, those seven principles are going to be a framework for people to work within and to allow them to optimize their metabolic health. Wow. Yeah, that's um, 
I think those are seven principles that everybody should live by, especially people who are seeking to improve their health. And I specifically admire that you do not just say eat less, move more, because I see so many people in different weight loss and motivation groups. As soon as somebody says, well, I want to lose 20, 30 pounds, people just start saying caloric deficit, caloric deficit. Right. Okay, that's fine. It's true, whatever you want to say. But nobody knows what that looks like. When you just yeah. tell people eat less, move more, there's nothing actionable there, you know, so it's not helpful. Um, yeah, I had a friend that's exactly it. Right. And it's very, very frustrating because people hear that and then they just say, well, you know, the hell of it. I'm not even going to try because uh, what can I do? I don't know what I'm doing. You know, this person says caloric deficit, eat less, move more. Well, you know, how am I supposed to move? What does moving more look like? What does eating less look like? I don't know nobody knows so that they like i said they just give up and want to do something else instead so and i like that you said just move because that's something that everybody can do everybody can get up and go for a walk right and so many people take the approach of i got to do an hour of cardio every morning i got to work out for two hours a day and then before i go to bed i got to do 50 push-ups and i gotta make this huge change when it's just if you just do one small thing that's probably going to get you a decent bit of the way there. And then, like you said, as soon as you make that one change, then implement the next, see how it goes. If that works and it works well, keep going, maybe implement something else. If that doesn't work, take it out and then try something else. Yeah. Um, you know, the problem, there are a couple of problems with the eat less, move more, you know, kind of calorie in calorie out concept. Mm -hmm. um, the first problem is, is that we're not good at measuring either side mm -hmm. of the equation. Absolutely. You know, we are not good at, at uh, counting our calories. You know, the, the food labels are oftentimes inaccurate mm -hmm. and we're not good at judging portion sizes and how much we're eating. And it turns out that the types of food you're eating are going to influence how much you eat. You know, mm -hmm. when you eat certain foods, they're going to make you more hungry and, you know, if you're just kind of trying to use willpower to restrict how much you eat, we know that that's not sustainable in the long term. Mm -hmm. And the other side of the equation, how many calories we burn uh, is also, you know, something that we really can't know in real life. You know, mm -hmm. we can measure it in very controlled laboratory settings, but that's not how we exist. And again, the types of food that we eat are going to influence how many calories we're burning. You know, our body composition is going to influence it. There are, there are so many factors mm -hmm. that go into influencing how many calories we burn in a day that it's really unmeasurable. Um, so while it's true that, yes, if you want to lose weight, you technically need to be taking in less energy mm -hmm. than you're burning, um, it's not a useful concept to help people lose weight. Uh, and more importantly, I think it distracts from what should be our message that we need mm -hmm. to focus on the types of food we're eating and not the amounts of food we're eating. And it turns out that when you stick to eating whole real food and you eliminate processed food from your diet, your body is able to properly sense how much food you need to eat. Mm -hmm. And you're most people that's going to look like you're going to be hungry less often. Um, and therefore it becomes easier to eat less, you know, uh, many people talk about intermittent fasting as a strategy for losing weight. And I do think fasting is a great tool for losing weight, but I don't think it should be a forced thing. You know, I only mm -hmm. end up eating once or twice a day. 
because I eat nutritionally dense food and I'm only hungry once mm -hmm. or twice a day. That's a lot different than eating a bunch of processed junk food and being hungry all the time, but just trying to restrict yourself to only you know, eating during a certain period of the day. That is hard to do. That is ultimately not sustainable. Um, but I, you know, another one of the things I tell people is find the types of food to eat that are going to make you hungry less often. And that is going mm -hmm. to lead you to success. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, so when you tell people to start moving, you know, um, what kind of, you know, do you just have people start walking? Do you tell people to, you know, try to get an exercise? Because I'm all about trying to get people to just start, you know, yeah, from zero to one could be a very, very far distance, but one to two isn't as far as zero to one. And then exactly. two to four, it each it, it's exponential, you get more and more potential as you get better and better. So, you know, what are some of the incremental improvements that people can make to just, you know, maybe lose a couple pounds that gets them to get that spark in their eye to want to keep going? Yeah. So I think the key concepts around this are, you know, just move more, you know, mm -hmm. whatever you're doing, find ways to move more throughout your day. Um, because the mistake that I think too many people make is they say, okay, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to exercise for an hour, whatever that exercise is. And then they spend the rest of their day sitting around being inactive. And ultimately, you know, that's not going to do you any good. Um, but if you just find those opportunities to move more throughout the day, you know, take the 10 minute walk after you eat or, you know, in the evening before you go to bed, um, you know, uh, you know, take the stairs instead of the elevator or the escalator when you can. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I always, you know, tell people when you can use a stand up desk instead of sitting all day. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, those are the useful concepts. And then when you are going to exercise, I think it's best to prioritize the activities that are going to build and maintain muscle. We have very good data that shows that the more muscle you're able to maintain as you age, not only the longer you live, but the higher quality, you know, of the life that you live. Your health span. Uh, yeah, exactly. Your health span and your lifespan both improve with muscle, maintaining muscle as we age. So, you know, those can be simple body weight exercises, mm -hmm. uh, resistance exercise of any form. Uh, if you want to lift weights, great. Uh, if you want to use resistance bands, great. If you want to just do body weight exercises, you know, things like push-ups and pull-ups and squats, that is adequate to do it. And you don't mm -hmm. have to do a whole lot of that, you know, 15 to 20 minutes, you know, four to five times a week is going to be plenty of, uh, you know, muscle building and muscle maintaining activity. Um, so, you know, those are my general thoughts around exercise. Um, and, and I guess the last important concept is, you know, the, the saying that you can't out exercise a bad diet Absolutely. is true. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, first and foremost, if you're only going to make that one change, uh, focus on what you're eating, the types of food that you're eating. Um, and then, you know, you can kind of worry about the activity part later. Um, because what I ultimately, you know, in real life, what I find is that when people start eating well, they then are inclined to get more active. It just mm -hmm. happens naturally. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. And I had a very, very similar experience prior to going uh, carnivore that um, I was 250 pounds and I was 
pretty big and I was very, very sore. I'm an auto mechanic for a living. And, you know, I kind of figured, okay, well, you know, this is just part of getting a little bit older. You're going to be sore. Things are going to hurt, you know, whatever. You just got to deal with it. Um, once I lost, you know, the 30, 40, 50 pounds, I felt fantastic. And I'm like, wow, I, you know, maybe my concept of aging is wrong. Maybe this isn't something that we have to live with. Um, Dr. Gabrielle Line is probably one of my favorite um, kind of health and fitness influencers. She oftentimes says that uh, muscle is the organ of longevity. And I think that bears out in the data, as you were saying. Um, there have been studies done, I believe, on elderly Korean women, um, the ones who had better grip strength, um, their overall mortality was less. So it's very, very important for people to kind of maintain that um, strength as they get older. You know, my show's about liberty and health, because I truly do believe that these two are intertwined so much so that, you know, if you're older and you have to depend on other people, you no longer are living a life full of, you know, liberty and health. And that's incredibly important to me. And I'm sure it's very important to other people. So, you know, it's it's good that people do their best to um, maintain a, you know, maintain muscle as they get older. Yeah. And, you know, it brings up another important concept, uh, which is exactly that you can be healthy as you age. You know, this mm -hmm. concept that getting unhealthy as we age is inevitable. Um, I think is one of the biggest failings of our healthcare system these days. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there is no reason that we need to be unhealthy. There is no reason that the majority of people over 50 years old need to be on multiple medications, right. which is the, the data that we see today. And certainly there is no reason that 88% of the adults in the United States need to be metabolically unhealthy, which is again, the reality that we are in today. Uh, and you know, you look at why this is, why this has come to be. And the bottom line is that the healthcare system has evolved in such a manner that it is not focused on keeping people healthy. It is only focused on taking care of sick people. And you know, my message to people is that you need to take control of your health, you need to not be reliant on the healthcare system. Uh, and you know, you need to take charge and you need to make the changes that are going to support your health uh, and ignore quite frankly, what you know, the food industry is telling you, what the government is telling you uh, is the way to be healthy. Um, and instead find your way, find what works for you to be healthy. Yeah, I completely agree. And it is a shame that we've essentially been led astray and that the healthcare system is no longer a healthcare system. It's more of a disease management industry. Um, we should be focused on people's metabolic health because that is the driver of longevity. Same with, you know, as I said earlier, muscle. Those two things will inevitably lead you to a life with a more, with a longer health span. Um, and this kind of carries into the conversation of what we've seen these last two years of COVID-19 is that people who are metabolically unwell, they do less well with COVID. My fiance and I both had it and we're both relatively healthy people. And it was a breeze for us. It like wasn't even a thing. <laughs> I felt a little under the weather for a couple of days. I lost my taste and smell for a week and I felt perfectly fine. My fiance, she felt a little rough for a couple of days and then she lost her smell for about a month. That was it.
we, you know, weren't in the hospital or anything like that. And that's not to say that there aren't young and healthy people who potentially see side effects from it because there are, but, you know, we don't base, you know, the, the rules around that. Um, but, you know, it's a shame that we haven't heard these last two years to, hey, it's time to improve your metabolic health. It's time to just do some kind of exercise. And if you're not going to do either one of those, then you accept the risks that inevitably come with that. Exactly. You know, I think that uh, COVID ultimately is a huge missed opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was a very obvious, uh, you know, message to us that we, you know, are so metabolically unhealthy that this disease was mm -hmm. able to, you know, kind of uh, have the effect that it did. Um, the earliest data, you know, those first days, the data that we had out of, you know, China and Italy and New York was mm -hmm. that this was a disease that attacked the old and the metabolically unhealthy. And the reality is, is that old just means metabolically unhealthy. Uh, yeah, you know, because it's more, it's more common for us in our current society to get metabolically unhealthy as we age. And, you know, if the message had been right from the beginning, you know, let's fix our metabolic health, just stop eating, you know, processed food and get yeah. out and exercise a little more, we would be in a much better situation than we are today. And instead, we really got the exact opposite message. You know, it was stay inside. You know, they closed down all the gyms and it was, you know, eat comfort food, um, you know, and we saw, you know, when the vaccines came out, you know, the reward for getting your vaccine was, you know, donuts and fast food. Uh, and, and, you know, it's like, we couldn't have gotten that more wrong if we tried, basically. It's the exact opposite of the advice that we should have been getting. And, you know, we find ourselves in a situation, you know, where we're still struggling with this two years later, when, as you, you know, as you said, as, as many others have said, and as I've been saying, is that if we just talked about metabolic health, we probably could have gotten out of this a lot sooner with a lot less uh, harm done. Absolutely. And, you know, we're hearing a lot about vaccinations and I had uh, Brian Sanders from Food Lies on. And he put it to me this mm -hmm. way that we're basically outsourcing immunity to vaccinations. And I'm not against people getting vaccinated at all. I'm not. But if we want these vaccines to be maximally effective, then being metabolically well, there's even data on this to suggest that you're going to have a more um a better antibody response you will become more immune from the vaccines and from natural immunity if you're more metabolically well um and it really blows my mind that you've heard nothing about that you know if we're supposed to take the vaccine and you know that's going to protect everybody then why not say hey if you're metabolically well and vaccinated you're going to be fine but yeah. all you hear is basically oh you know here take the vaccine, wear a mask, stay away from people. And well, dietary stuff like that, well, maybe that'll help. But you know, it, it's almost like we're putting the cart before the horse. No, exactly. You know, because even when you look at the data around, uh, you know, people getting breakthrough infections, people who have been vaccinated and mm -hmm. then get COVID, um, it's clear that if you're not metabolically healthy, you do worse with that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's no different than, you know, the the sort of first wave of infections before vaccination. Um, so whether or not, you know, you want to get vaccinated, uh, I don't think should change at all uh, mm -hmm. the fact that getting metabolically healthy is going to 
you know, protect you from the complications of getting COVID. And, you know, I, you know, you kind of mentioned that, that, you know, diet is mentioned as sort of a, you know, kind of poo-pooed and mentioned on the side. The reality <laughs> is, is it doesn't even get mentioned. You know, mm. when you look at the conversation from the leaders in this, you know, whether they be the political leaders or the health leaders, um, you know, that are supposed to be guiding the, us through this pandemic, diet and improving your metabolic health does not get mentioned at all. Mm -hmm. um, it's not even paid lip service. So I think, again, that is probably the biggest missed opportunity, um, you know, that we have. And the reality is, is that whenever we get through this pandemic, if we haven't done anything about our metabolic health, and the reality is if we, our metabolic health has gotten worse during this pandemic, mm -hmm. um, we're going to be just as susceptible to the next, you know, virus or infectious disease that comes along. Uh, so, you know, ultimately fixing our metabolic health is going to be the way out of this. And it's going to be what prevents us from having, you know, recurring pandemics like this, because the true pandemic is metabolic health. It is what leads to the majority of death, disability, and suffering in our society these days. And ultimately, we're going to have to come to a reckoning with that. Absolutely. Um, I kind of always thought of it this way, that COVID wasn't necessarily the killer. Granted, it did, you know, kill a lot of people, but it was more of the um, pin that pricked the economic and health bubble. Um, I talk a lot about it on this channel and on my podcast, but you know, this really exposed the underlying weakness of our health and our economy. Um, you know, nobody was metabolically healthy. Like you said earlier, 88% of people fail to meet the uh, basic measures of metabolic wellness. So when you have a disease or, you know, a pandemic, people just are not ready to fight it off. And like you said, it was a complete and total missed opportunity. Um, we've been going here for a little bit. Let's try to kind of wrap it up here and end on a little bit more of a positive note. Um, how do you see, you know, this all kind of changing and, you know, how um, has your um, practice kind of changed over the years and how are your patients kind of reacting and what kind of success are they seeing? Yeah, so... You know, I now have basically uh, two uh, kind of uh, parts of my professional career. Mm -hmm. You know, I continue to work as a heart surgeon and take care of the patients that need it. And I feel blessed to be able to offer that service to the people that need it when they need it. Um, but I also have a uh, telemedicine practice where I work with people to improve their metabolic health and to avoid the need for heart surgery. Because ultimately what I recognize is that no matter how good a heart surgeon I am, no matter how good all the other heart surgeons out there are, we can never make the patient as good as if they didn't need the heart surgery in the first place. And I'm hopeful that our healthcare system is going to be able to refocus on keeping people healthy uh, rather than just treating their disease. Uh, and I do see evidence of that. You know, I go mm -hmm. to low carb medical meetings now, metabolic health focused medical meetings. And I see more and more physicians that are, you know, understanding this, involved in this and, uh, you know, talking out about it. Uh, ultimately, you know, my time and geography is limited, so I can't work with all the people that need it. And that's why I wrote the book to get this message out to more and more people. 
Um, I also offer, for instance, a group coaching program. It's called the Stronger Heart Society. And, you know, I can work with more people uh, in the group coaching setting than I can in the one-on-one uh, -on -one setting. So I personally am just trying to find, you know, as many ways as possible going on podcasts like this uh, to get this message out to people that you need to take charge of your health. You need to focus on your metabolic health. And that's going to get to the outcomes that you're ultimately looking for. Right. And I think that's a very, very powerful and great message to end it on. Um, everybody should take care of their health and take responsibility for what they got going on. Um, any other uh, closing notes? Go ahead, plug your stuff. Yeah. So uh, the book is called Stay Off My Operating Table. It's available now uh, on Amazon, on all the other you know, major online platforms. It's in uh, print audiobook and uh, ebook formats. Uh, my website, ovadiahearthealth.com, O-V-A-D-I-A, hearthealth.com, has all the information on, you know, working with me as a patient. Uh, my, uh, you know, I have a secondary site, strongerhearts.co, uh, that is dedicated to that group coaching program that I was talking about. And on social media, I'm most active over on Twitter at ifixhearts. Uh, I can also be uh, found on Instagram at Ovadia underscore heart underscore health. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I'll get this out there and I'll share it on all my social media. I'm very excited to uh, have people kind of hear about the work that you're doing because I think it's great work. And I think a lot of people kind of need to hear the message of low carb health. Well, not even just low carb, but, you know, get the hell off the operating table, man. We don't want you there. <laughs> metabolic so, health thank, yeah. thanks for having me on kyle of course thank you for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call click or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done.